Hey guys, I'm Kevin from Get A Life Podcast Kunai, and today I'm joined with Bish. Hey guys, what's up? Yeah, and today we're going to be trying our two-man episodes, and we're covering Overlord. But before we get to any further discussion, Bish? Uh, for you new folks, Get A Life Podcast Kunai is a monthly anime discussion podcast under the Get A Life group. Due to the nature of the discussion, we can't avoid spoilers of the show to be discussed, for those shows that are based off an existing piece of work, whether it's manga, light novel, or some other media form, we're not going to be covering the source material for those. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. If you'd like to recommend a show for us to watch and make an episode of Kunai for, send us your suggestion on our Twitter page at Get a Life Podcast, or by leaving us a review on one of those podcast platforms, or if you go to our website, www.getalifepodcast.com forward slash anime, it will take you to our suggestion form. And if you want to support what we do on Kunai, make sure you check out our sponsors, Japan Crate. So go to www.getlifepodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. Use the code GALP for $3 off. Finally, if you want to watch this specific anime and keep up to date with what we watch for Kunai, you can support us by signing up for a 14 day free trial of Crunchyroll Premium. For everything anime, keep it Crunchyroll, crunchyroll.com forward slash kunai. Alright, so for those of you who don't know much about Overlord, it is a dark fantasy and isekai series, and is based off the light novel written by Kugane Maruyama. The anime series is from Madhouse and was directed by Naoyuki Ito and Minoru Ashahina for the OVA, and it was released in 2015. So, first off, Bish, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually your first time watching the show, right? So just want to know what your first impressions were of Overlord and you know, how you got to hear of it and how you got into the series. Sure. So, actually, Will, who was on the previous episode of, of Kunai, we actually had a debut with him, he actually suggested it to me ages ago and he wanted us to do it for kunai so around the time that we did excel world uh, he was like yeah watch Overlord, watch overlord and i was like i'll watch it and i believe this was at the time where crunchyroll and funimation were still had this partnership going on so i watched a couple of episodes on crunchyroll and then when i went back to it they removed it from crunchyroll i was like what <laughs> so i didn't get a chance to sort of finish the show i got like two episodes in and i kind of dropped the show only because i didn't have access to funimation now when we were suggesting it for kunai when it was suggested for kunai mm. i w decided okay i'm gonna buy a funimation account so i bought funimation and then it turns out that it went back to crunchyroll so due to licensing issues i wasn't really able to continue it and it's like in terms of the first impressions of the show really i i enjoyed it initially it got me hooked from the beginning i kind of like these sort of stories the mysterious stories i know it's like very cliche that oh they're stuck mm. in the game but at the same time I, I don't really know what's going on here i don't know if they're actually stuck in the game or or if the game is just a means to like a different sort of situation but we see a lot of anime like that like uh obviously excel world mm. sword art even mom online the, the isekai with the mums that's a similar sort of story so i'm like i don't know if it's overplayed yeah. it, it's a very saturated genre right? it is very to be honest with you but at the same time it's very interesting because it's slightly different from what i've seen like if we're comparing it to something like sword art it's a lot darker mm. it's a lot uh yeah more comedic at times but i mean the theme is quite serious for the most part and that's what kind of kept me hooked with that show in terms Definitely. of my first impressions. and i really like the 
the way you use the word mystery there because that's one of the things that I think that this show uh, does really well, right? Um, and I remember when I first pitched this show to you for um, for Kunai. Actually, no, it was you who pitched it to me, and mm. I was talking about it, right? And I was like, you know, that's a perfect fit for Kunai because it's something that we're so used to that we can relate to, right? It's kind of like this this show about games, and I was like, kind of like going in circles with my explanation, right? And you're just like, bro, it's an isekai. And I just, it lit up, right, for me. Because I actually didn't remember that it was an isekai show, because it doesn't feel like that at all, right? I don't get the same vibes that I do from it's, It Overlord. feels more so like a dramatic thriller type show with magic it included does. on the side. Just because like in, in other shows, right, um, it's like, yeah, they're transporting to the game world, whatever, but um, it still very much feels like, I don't know how to say it, but like a game, right? They kind of, they know everything about the world already, right? Well, so, to, to some extent, like it flips it on its head because Momonga still uses the, the information that he knows from uh, Igrasil or whatever it's called, the, the game mm. that he was playing before. It's kind of like as soon as he's using that and as soon as he's using the spells and shit, and when he realizes his money can't be used in this world, it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing there. You're flipping it on its head. And I, I kind of yeah. enjoyed that because you don't expect it. You would imagine comparing it to pr all these other isekai animes that, okay, he's in the game world. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to be OP as fuck. But I mean, the mm. fact that they flipped it on its head, it's it's quite interesting. And that's another reason why I'm intrigued because it's so different from the other isekai. Yeah, because like, even though he's like a level 100, right? He's a seasoned veteran of the game and stuff. He's still discovering this new world with you because the world that he got transported into, it's, not the, it's very clear that it's not the same world that he was used to playing in, right? So... I feel that the fact that you're discovering the universe um, of Overlord at the same time as he is makes him a lot more relatable and it, I don't know, it's just a great way to, to put you in his shoes and, and to introduce you to the, the universe, right? But that aside, I think that one of the first things that came to me when I first started watching the show and when I, again, when I rewatched it was really nostalgia and relatable, right? Because like from the first episode, he's like talking to an old guild mate, right? Who's moved on in life and stuff. And he's like reminiscing about the old days where they're all like, you know, in this guild together, they're having a great time and, you know, just the heydays of the Y Dragon's old game. And that reminds me a lot of my like Xbox high school days. I don't know if you had a same sort of phase for me uh in middle and high school like my friends and i would play fucking xbox like yeah. religion we had like you know black ops 2 as soon as you got home from school you loaded that shit up you went into your xbox live parties we'd play like online we'd just screw around in private matches we'd play like cod zombies uh, on black ops 2 or black ops 1 go back to world at war sometimes and we just like we do like everything together right like as soon as school is done it was like party time you know so i don't know that hit me a lot right because i I felt so nostalgic for those days and I was like, shit, I really understand this protagonist, you know? So um, instantly from the get-go, I feel that it does a great job of uh, reeling you in because there's like their demographic, right? There's so many people in the anime community who are also gamers, right? So I, I feel that it's really relatable for a lot of people and that's what drags you into the show initially. And I think that's very well done. And it's a good thing that you mentioned relatability because obviously when I was watching it at the same time and I'm seeing him with his one guild member that decides to log off he was expecting more people to be there for the end of the game because they knew the servers were shutting down so it kind of reminds mm -hmm. me of other games that i used to play that were shut down like stuff like runescape obviously they re reopened the runescape servers but stuff like club penguin i remember when they shut down club penguin and all the people oh were there God. for like the final the final you know 
send-off. It kind of felt like that, but in a sadder way because no one was there. Just that one. Yeah, it was like a giant table, guy. and there were just like two of them. You know? yeah. yeah. It also makes me wonder, like, was it just the fact that everyone grew up? Because I know that everyone has like jobs that they were going to. Even Momonga has a job, right? He mentions yeah. it. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I have to work at like 4 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, were they young when they were initially playing the game, and then they just grew up and they got jobs and they got families and they just started to drift away? I, I really think it's that because like he, he mentions that one of the rules one of the two rules that uh, you had to abide to to join the uh, the guild all gown was that you know you had to be a function member of society and he mentions how like you know over time just their lives got in the way right Li life moves on they had families uh, they, they had their careers to look after and people just they kind of grow apart, right? It's kind of exactly what happens, uh, you know, in real life, you know, the, the friends I used to play like, you know, COD with years ago, right? You know, like university came and went and there's like just life happens. You know what I mean? I kind of felt bad for, for Momonga. Like, it's like, imagine just being there left with NPCs. But I think what was interesting about it was it started it kind of started off as this whole game thing and then it, it just became real like that, that i wasn't really expecting the fact that as soon as the server shut down that he would basically be inside the game like forever i wanted to know is there a way he could get out but he doesn't really ask that question and i think that's that's an intriguing thing the fact that momonga doesn't ask the question can i get out yeah he the first thing he goes to is is there other players in this world? He's just intrigued by the world mainly, and he's accepted his fate, which is unlike yeah. Sword Art or Excel World or all of these other isekais where it, the journey is really getting out as opposed to just making the most of what you have. Th that's why it just stands out so much as an isekai. I, I feel like it's an isekai in the sense that, you know, yes, he's transported in the game world. But after that, he doesn't really make an attempt to get out. He doesn't really mention the fact that it's a game too, too much, right? And like, even if you think about it, I, w I remember watching the first episode of uh, Sword art with some friends a while back and what really hit me was that in sword art if i remember correctly tell me if i'm wrong here in the first episode of a lot of uh of isekai shows the first episode is always just like filled with exposition or it's like oh ho the game creator uh wants you guys to complete this quest or whatever and there's like this is what your goal is blah blah, blah. and there's a bunch of exposition that tells you like a whole bunch of stuff about the world whereas in overlord there's absolutely nothing right you're on the same page as the protagonist right you don't know what's changed true the, I, I get what you mean like you're on the same page with momonga but at the same time you're on the same page with momonga but momonga already has the information from the game that he's played so really you learn with him but at mm. the same time it's like you also learn about the previous game like do you see what i mean like you learn yeah about everything that's going on with momonga like i like that it's it's a uh, very refreshing because as you said you don't get that exposition you kind of learn it as you go along like you learn about Momonga's friends you learn about even the characters themselves you learn about them because of their the people that created them so it's like they have certain traits yeah. and stuff and it's, it's interesting I think they really embody you know the principle of you know show and don't tell here because if they had just told us everything about you know what this new world was like and all that and the NPCs that lived in it then you'd have no reason to you know follow Momonga and you know his companions, right? So I, I think they do a really great job within the first few episodes of pulling you in, not, not only with the relatability of the main character, which is really solid, but also with uh, the universe. I found myself asking, like, oh, what is this world like? How is it different from the game world that they used to live in? You know, mm. what other players are there? You know, are, is it going to fight them and all that? So a pretty solid uh, first few episodes that really drag you in. But, you know, other than that, I really want to talk about the rest of the show as well, because yes, 
the first few episodes are a good introduction, but I don't, personally, I don't think that's where the, the show really shines, right? Thankfully, I find that it, just, it gets better and better as the episodes go on. So I just want to know you. what your favorite episodes and moments are, you know, whether uh, they're, they're good or bad, really. There's a lot of moments within the show. I think every episode is a highlight for me. Uh, there wasn't any episode within this anime that I felt, oh, this is filler or this is pretty shitty exposition or anything like that. But really? I would say, okay. no, throughout the whole thing, I really enjoyed it. One of the first episodes I enjoyed was the episode where they go to the town. I forgot the name of the town, but... Um, uh, Carney. Yeah, when they go to Carney town, uh, basically he, he remembers what... He just sees it in this sort of mirror or whatever. And he remembers what touch me uh touch me son lord touch what, me oh, lord touch i fucking me. die when T- i saw that name i was Sama. like that that's such a gamer name dude that's all of all of them have these awkward weird gamer names like it, it, but that's because they were playing a game so i got it i got that joke straight away it was like touch me touch me sama lord touch me so when when it's, it's sort of this thing where you see lord touch me sort of helping him out he's just a weak young player and he's asking him to join his guild right so that was that was pretty cool and the fact that he only saved that village to pay a debt to one of his friends that are not there anymore so it, it's it's weird because momonga treats them as if they're dead right and they and they might as well be he was just like not nah, fuck them i'm just not you know there's no reason or advantage for me to go save this village mm. i'm just gonna watch from a distance and let them die and he has the flashback and he's like you know what i'll go for it and it's stuff like that I was just like whoa Momonga like you see what who Momonga is not as this overlord like if you look at his appearance he's kind of scary right that's what I love about the episode the fact that you see more of Momonga you see the human side of Momonga literally yeah I, I also like the fact that you this is the first time you actually see Momonga in actual battle action especially the fight with the church and the angels and it's all just hitting him and he's just like what the fuck are you guys gonna do bro and he just Whew! it's like fucking one, one punch shot. man you know he's just like shrugging yeah, the shit off dude, you know, like when, when I saw fucking that plebeians. I felt I felt like <laughs> the power of Mwanga. Like, I felt like, shit, this guy is the guy. Do you know? He's, he is the overlord. You know what I mean? And that was just, I bet you that wasn't even using much of his power. He was just flexing for no reason. I did enjoy that and I did, that episode was a highlight for me. I think another episode that I really enjoyed as well was the, when he goes to the village and he's taking quests. Mm. That was interesting. Only because there was so much that was going on. There was like the kid, Momonga breaks one of the potions and he gives her the the, yeah, the pure uh, potion. I believe her name's Rita. Yeah, she give, yeah he gives her the red potion. I believe. Yeah, which is which is a pure potion. It's like it's not it's like hundred percent healing and whatever. So when he when that happened and obviously how that led into the next part, you know, with the village as well, the fact that it's all sort of tied in. I enjoyed that. But what I enjoyed the most about the episode is finding out that the king of the forest is a fucking hamster. I, that's what's way in episode. Se- oh, okay. How do you feel about that episode? Episode, actually, episode do, do, seven. Do you not like it? I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was okay. fucking hilarious. I, I was imagining this. It was it was piece. funny, I'll admit. But I mean, sometimes you need that. Like, uh, bear in mind, especially after what was gonna come afterwards, where all of his teammates fucking were brutally killed by Clementine, right? So he, mm. he, I think maybe if that was afterwards, that would have been funny, but it wouldn't have been appropriate. So if they had to do it before. I get it. It, it was funny. It's just I, I enjoyed the fucking hamster. It was hilarious. It was it was funny. 
Uh, but I gotta say, it wasn't a terrible episode, but for me, episode 7, which is, I believe, the Wise King of the Forest, there we go, Wise King of the Forest, it was, like, the least good episode, in my opinion. It was my least favorite episode, actually, for several reasons. Like, it's not bad, but I don't feel like there's a whole lot that was added to the lore or the story progression in this episode. It honestly kind of felt like, like, filler to me, right? Because by that point in episode 7, he's already completed his quest with uh, the group of explorers, right uh, and they're just on the way back to collect their prize right so there's nothing substantive or substantive sorry that happens other than you know the the, the hamster joining the cast and you know it was funny but he, he i don't really care about the hamster like he doesn't really do much for the rest of the story you know like well once again i think that's needed the fact that they were on their way back you need to know that for the next episode to make sense because obviously do you though like if you didn't run to the hamster like if they did their quest and they went right back to clementine you know, kidnapping Inferia. I don't think anything in the story would have changed. Yes, you wouldn't have seen the hamster, but in the first season at least, because I haven't watched the later seasons, the hamster doesn't do anything, right? He's not a part of the battles or anything, right? He's not a major new character that gets developed. I feel that, you know, in the other moments, you know, notwithstanding the hamster, even in the moments with Inferia, okay, you get that, you know, okay, he's kind of cunning because he was trying to trick Momonga and all that, but I don't feel that anything that substantive was really added to his character or to, you know, the story. There's just a little bit of lore, I guess, but I really don't feel like it added much. It's just the, the ending is what really saved it for me. I just think that the other episodes, what makes them better is that they're able to beautifully wed, you know, action, intrigue, and world building together, right? There's at least two of those elements at any given time in the other episodes, whereas this, I had to like pause and ask myself like, okay, what the fuck are they doing hunting this this hamster for? You know, it doesn't really feel like it advances his goals or anything, you know? And he, he, even he was disappointed. He was like, I was expecting to test my power against this like, this beast or whatever, and it's just a fucking hamster, you know? So even he was disappointed, right? Yeah, I get, I get he was disappointed. I get he, probably you were disappointed as well. But at the same time, like I said, the only reason I enjoyed it was because I think it needed to be there. Because if you didn't have that comic relief there, the next episodes, I would just feel so fucking depressed. Do you that know what I mean? That is true. So <laughs> that that's, is tr that's yeah. one of the reasons that I like it. But even saying then, the episodes that preceded that were fucking amazing they were just great the fact that he just killed the whole all of the fucking team after he had a relationship with them and he find out certain people's secrets like the boy the young boy was actually a girl the whole time and you see the friendship yeah, that they true. have and etc and it's like oh fuck they just she just they killed all get, like them. george r r martin and fucking like i know it's, yeah. it's like i there was no reason for me to like them but the way that momonga had a relationship with them and just cared for them Th that, i'm so confused though um we'll get into this later but i was really wondering whether she did care for them because afterwards he was just like oh i don't know them they were just these people that i happened to work with once right when the when the grandmother asked like do you know these people and he's like nope i they're they yeah, my associates bear, bear in mind it's not about him caring or not caring it's the fact that he's a status symbol he that, has to keep that up is true okay so even I, when the youngest one died, he was remembering her, even as he was crushing Clementine. So it still meant something to him. Even if he doesn't show it, it meant something to him. He has to keep up appearances. That is true. No, you're absolutely right. Now that I think about it, yeah, he just acts that way to, to keep an appearance in front of the villagers, I guess, yeah. And that's something that, that I want to say. Momonga is a very manipulative character. That's what he has to be. And you see it even further along in other episodes, especially the fight with Shalte. 
he deceives mm. her. And that's the only way yeah. he was able to win because even uh, Cocutus was like, he has a three out of seven chance to win. You know yeah, what I mean? he's playing mind games. And that's what it is. I think that's a nice tease for a character discussion. But other than that, okay, episode seven, I can understand why you like it. I do agree that, yeah, without the comedic relief in retrospect, the last half of the show would have been, there weren't many comedic moments at all, right? So it would have been like really fucking dark and shit. So I, I do see your point. For me, I would like to go back to episode three and four actually, because I, I think that, you know, for, for a lot of people, they, I know some friends like my, my roommate Greg, right? He has this bad habit of like, even if he doesn't like a show initially, he'll watch it all the way until the end. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I think episode three and four, they're near the beginning of the show and they really show you what makes the show great um, so you can decide from there whether or not you want to continue or not you know so honestly uh, if you want to recommend overlord to your friends I think that you should at least tell them to watch up to episode 4 because episode 3 it's the first time that like you mentioned that's when they go to Kanye village right and it's the first time you see some action right? you get to see the outside world outside of the the tomb of Nazarick right and you get to explore it with Momonga and it's also the first time you see combat right and it just reminded me of how brutal this anime can be right i'm not saying that it's like another or anything but the combat was pretty fucking like it's kind of gory you know uh, for for an anime kevin i wouldn't really say that to be honest with you because i was expecting more gore like especially i know we're jumping very far on the clementine death scene you know when momonga's crushing yeah, her to death hang on. and shit are you saying that that's not enough for you or is no, that i wanted more are you are you serious i'm really? serious i'm you know it's weird because i i watched that I was watching it in the kitchen. I was having a sandwich. I, I was eating. Like, I wasn't even feel. I didn't feel disgusted by it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. He just crushed really? her. I was like, cool. I, do you know what I wanted to see? I wanted to see him crush her so badly that she, like, you see bones popping out and shit. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see her fall to the floor, dead, like, mangled well, up. I think that's just, you know, your sick fantasy, dude. But I, I think that you're really in the minority, though. Let, let's be real, man. Did you, you watch this on Crunchyroll, right? Yeah. You, you should have seen the the comments, man. Like people were. I don't know. I find that it was an extremely satisfying death scene. It's possibly. It was, it was satisfying, but I think I because the character was so evil, I wanted her to die a more painful death because she's taken so many lives. So I wanted Momonga to crush her to powder. Didn't she like scratch her fucking nails off or something? Like it is not a light scene. You gotta no, it's concede not, it's, that. No, no, it's not a light scene. At I'll all. be honest with you, it's not a light scene, and the blood gushes every. Everywhere. but i just wanted more i wanted more gore <laughs> like it that scene in itself i was like you know i was expecting goblin slayer levels of gore that's what i was expecting from that scene. i i can't vouch for that i haven't seen goblin slayer yet but i found it to be satisfactory you know okay. i wasn't disappointed in the least but for episode four as well I, I find that one of the other great things other than you know world building and intrigue that makes this world great is uh, again the combat you know like it's just hilariously lopsided like you said bitch he's just fucking overpowered right he's just like glancing shots left and right and it's just fucking fun to see him like own everyone with these over the top moves you know what i mean even then i think even momonga is not using anything over the top until really the end of the anime that's when he's actually trying that's when you see him actually struggling like this was like someone's like throwing a i don't know it's like someone throwing a pillow at you like it's a pillow fight that's what it felt like yeah basically it's like it's like momonga brought a sledgehammer to a pillow fight yeah basically i remember during episode four right when they're 
fighting against like the angels or whatever, right? He's like, oh yeah, I've got this this super fucking powerful crystal that'll summon like the power of God to smite you, right? And he's like, Malonga for a second, he's like, oh shit, what's gonna happen? And then he, he does it and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I was scared for this shit, right? So it's just like funny comedic moments like that, seeing like the enemy's reactions to being completely fucking outclassed. That's what makes this show funny. What I enjoyed even about that episode was that the fact that Momonga was smart enough to teleport himself in like that I thought was very cool because it was like oh cool you see shit that it's like you wouldn't expect I thought Gazev was just gonna have like, like fucking die that's what I thought but the okay. fact that he just teleported with him, I was like, shit, Momonga. It was it was very high building. It's kind of expected though, because like he gives him the thing, right? So we're like, hmm, I wonder what that could be for, right? Clearly he's not just going to like let this guy die. Okay, I thought he was going to let him die. I don't think he's that cold-hearted. Like he, he's shown to be kind of like indifferent at times, but I don't know if I'd say he's that cold-hearted. Well, know? because at, at heart, Momonga is human, right? Like the actual guy that controls Momonga in the game is, is a human being. So he still kind of retains that sort of emotion. Do you have any other favorite episodes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think, honestly, the beginning was pretty solid. It, it shows you what to expect from the show. Great introduction, as I said before. I'm glad that you enjoyed the, the middle arc, right? I think it's called the Dark Warrior arc, where they're going with the explorers, right? With Clementine and all that. Uh, but for me, really, like, the best part of the show is really the ending. And in, in this, I'm going to include uh, episode 9. Episode 9 is the very last episode of the middle arc. You know, when they're, when they're fighting against Clementine, actually, and against uh, when Nabe is fighting against the, the priest dude, I find that starting from episode 9 all the way until episode 13, it's like fucking non-stop action, right? You just you really don't feel like there's anything unnecessary. True. Personally, that like, is true. I, I'm not gonna lie. I did enjoy that final arc as well. Really, what I enjoyed about it was Shaltier's entrance. You know how they were like, oh, they were tricking that guy to sort of basically find warriors. That's what he wanted to do. I didn't know what Momonga wanted. If he wanted to mm -hmm. create an undead army, because they do mention that a lot, create an undead yeah. army, or if he just wanted to recruit them. I really don't know the way where you know the the people just come out of the of the carriage and it's Shaltier and her vampire brides, right? And the guys that were there basically. They were there for to rape. That that was their reason to be there. Yeah, and, no. It, and that, seeing them you know. and seeing them get their just desserts, I fucking enjoyed that. I actually fucking enjoy because it's like these people are there to like a horrible act, and they're getting their you know what they fucking deserve. Yeah, just deserved. 100%. And the what intrigued me about that scene was the way Shaltier would just mow them fucking down, and that little orb of blood. I was like, what is that? Like what? What's that for? And, you know, it, it just looks so nice. It's like, it's just there. It, it looks like kind of Kool-Aid. Like, imagine like an orb of Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, what I loved about that was the guy that brought them there, uh, one of the servants, you know how she just opened her, like, she opened her dress or whatever. Yeah, she just, like, ate the guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy was trying to grope her and he's like, Aah! like, that, that's some scary shit, but he deserved it. it. It's those kind of moments. Like, you see, it's weird because they're supposed to be the bad guys, but they're doing like good shit do you know what i mean yeah like legit he saved carney village by like turning people into fucking zombies and like summoning like dead warriors and shit yeah definitely flip some some tropes on its head you know 
Another thing is, honestly, I guess it kind of spoils what I'm going to say later for characters, but I do feel like episode 9, sorry, episode 10, it kind of flips my perception of Sheltier, right? Because it does such a good job of, uh, especially the, the, the last few episodes when they actually fight, you know, with, with uh, Momonga. It does such a great job at displaying her power, right? She's fucking terrifying when she goes into her, you know, like her true form. She's like this fucking, this vampire, like lamprey sort of fucking creature, you know? I, I feel, I really feel that it's in those moments when the characters, you know, like, you know, they take off their fucking gloves to go like full power. That's when uh, the combat really shines through and it's just a fucking bloodbath, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course, man. Like when you see that sort of shit, it gets you hype. Like when I saw Shaltair just changing, I was like, whoa, what is this? It just got me excited, but at the same time, it was kind of confusing because is that truly her most powerful form? Because she fought Momonga and she wasn't in that form. She she had like this sort of no, Gundam no, armor going true. on. So I mean, like, was that really her true form, or was that more so she was just pissed off that by the fact that her uh, vampire brides had died, so she just got fucking angry? Do you know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. Because to me, it doesn't seem know. like that's her most powerful form. Yeah, it's just her true form. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, man, just the, the entire last arc with Sheltier, I mean, I'm at a loss for words as to how to describe it. It's just, um, it was just such a nice breather from the, like, look, the, the middle arc was nice, right? The explorers and all that, it, it did a good job of establishing what world they live in, like the kind of people that inhabit it and all that, but it was kind of slow, right? And the, the last arc, they really take things up and crank it to 11 for fucking everything. It's got the most satisfying battle of the entire season. You right? know why I, I would say that it, it's the most exciting battle? Only because you know Momonga is at a high disadvantage, right? And there was all this build up with all the references to all of his friends and you see these flashbacks and shit. But when he starts using their equipment and he's just like one after another, after another, after another, it's like shit, man. He's, it's kind of like this sort of, oh, I don't want to say this sort of friendship is magic type situation, but it, it is friendship is the true magic here like using his friend's equipment got was very satisfying for me i think that was the payoff for me it wasn't the fact that he beat shalte it was just the fact that he's using touch me's you know uh, <laughs> yeah. his armor and he's using uh, shalte's master's sword and all this shit it's like whoa it's as if his friends are there fighting with him that's what i liked about it really it, when you think of it you're absolutely right it really is you know this friendship is magic sort of thing but oh, i didn't dislike it normally i hate those sort of scenes in in like shonen shows and all that because i find it's really cheesy it's very boring it's been done to death and you know yeah it still falls into that trope in this case but i th i think that it was it was well done you know he doesn't go on this entire speech about you know how his friends saved him and he's going to defeat them with the power of friendship whatever right he just he just transitions through all their equipment really quickly right and it's a nice nod to them without going you know over the top without being excessive without overstaying its welcome either and i think that's the way that more shows should handle this right don't just you now we get it when i talk about friendship or whatever but don't shove it in our faces and keep it on screen for like three quarters of the episode no one wants that you know as you said it feels like more like a cameo of these characters just making yeah. their way through it was a nice nod to them i do agree with that well another thing is just you see how momonga think during that final fight right yes the, you know at the beginning of the beginning of the fight he doesn't go in intentionally because the the game knowledge says okay if i don't go and attack her first she won't attack me so she's not going to be hostile until i make the first move 
So then he's, you know, when he started to do those spells and he was just saying those random words of English, I was thinking, <laughs> what, what was that? It's like, what was that about? But it made sense. It's all the buffs. It's all the buffs and it's all like the protection and, and uh, all these different things that he's doing. But it was so interesting because there was that one it was false data. That was the, that was the one that, that stood out. I was like, why is he casting something like false data? Like, what does that mean? And then I was realizing Shaltair is actually, you know, looking at his MP and she's thinking, oh, I've, I've taken down his MP, but only he made her think like that the guy already had so much mb do you know what i mean that was a smart thing it's like mind games this is like the it's the best battle easily i think it's you can't even say anything it's objectively the best battle oh yeah right? because there's just so many things that, that are done right right you know before i'm not saying the battles were, were bad or anything but it, they were really short right it was evident that he was gonna win this is the the only battle i'd say where you really feel that okay there's a struggle you know you know he's going to win obviously right but there's an actual sense of struggle for him right and even his uh his floor guardians are like mm, the odds the odds aren't in his favor so not only is it you know not only is there this struggle but it's well thought out as well because yes you hear what he's thinking but what i think i really appreciate personally as well is that you also hear what shaltier is thinking right it's like they're playing mind games against each other right you hear what they're thinking what their strategies are and it kind of felt to me like i was watching this like sports casted battle between a player and another player honestly and that's what made it great right because they're trying to like really outthink each other right do some like 40 chess shit you know yeah overall I, I think that the last arc for me it really like it nails the sweet spot for everything that makes the show great it's such a good climax for the series because like you know there's some great action that's well animated um there's some mind games that's going on there's some lore about you know uh the game itself right you can't get to develop the background from of Momonga through his friends get to see a bit more of Shaltier who had kind of been kind of a, a trope up to that point yeah Shaltier was mind. like the the mistress effectively that, that was her yeah that was the joke that they were trying to push on it I was like really is this really Shaltier even even after the Shaltier battle there were some moments within that episode where you know it, it kind of ties the whole anime together because you know in the middle arc they only went out to fight and do quests because Momongo needed money because the money was useless yeah so yeah. the fact that they used the money in the end to, to revive uh Shaltier, i was like oh shit okay so there's a use for that money. like it all kind of ties in it's it's just so interesting like at least that money's not gone to waste at least the way i'm seeing it it's stuff like that yeah. man it's like there's just all that sort of stuff and part of me wanted to know okay i want to know more what what happened to Shaltier, who mind controlled her but the anime does a great job at, at like making you want to know other things more like in yeah, any other anime suspense. this would be my main priority but i want to know what happens next like i really want to know like at, at the end of that where they would normally play the outro the ending they continued on of what was going on kind of setting up for season two and just like you know albado was like oh if you have an undead army they can only be like level 40 if they're humans but there is this lizard men town next thing over so it's like oh okay so season two they're gonna fight the lizard men like do you see what i mean like it sets it up for that and it kind of takes away my focus from who who brainwashed um Shaltier and all of this and whatever 
and that kind of stuff and for an anime to do that like actually change your focus into something that is less important is insane i don't know i've never seen an anime that was able to do that before before this show but you, do you find that it's a, it's a positive thing or do you, you oh it's a positive 100 it's, it's, it's okay. a it's a positive thing because to be honest if my focus is where is it where is the guy blah 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 blah, blah then by the end of the anime i'll feel dissatisfied do you see what i mean because then i would be like well it's not self-contained i didn't get to see what's happened i wasn't even given a glimpse of what's happening do you see what i mean yeah because yeah, for example sure. let's let's say let's play devil's advocate let's say they mm. revealed the person who brainwashed and momonga defeated that person within two episodes would it feel very satisfying no it doesn't it would feel yeah, more all that hype for, for like an entire season of hype for nothing that, and basically. that's it that's it so i'm glad that they went the way they did to kind of let me forget about the dude that brainwashed out it and focus on something else because potentially that might come up in the second season that might come up in the third season of the show but they do kind of tease it though if you remember at the end not only do they uh, mention that but they also cut to like this dark throne room right uh with the slain theocracy you get this guy like, kneeling in front of the this this council of priests and all that so they they divert your attention a bit right they're like oh we're gonna attack this lizardman village so they give you something to expect but they also tease you just a bit to pique your interest right to get you motivated to watch the the second season so i really think that it's this they hit this you know sweet spot where it's like okay you have enough information about what happened to be satisfied but they withhold just enough so that you want to you know marathon the second season as soon as you're done right i really think that the they really stuck the landing for this series oh, definitely, like definitely. i'm just thinking of like um other shows that we've covered like recently actually like um you know the world only god knows that had like the worst last episode in recent memory for me and this is kind of like the polar opposite of that it it's just this cherry on top of the cake you know it ties everything together it gives you a bit more to look forward to right and it's a great final arc as well the battle the story um it's just a, a good climax that you know wraps everything up nicely another thing i'd like to mention about this show is that the second time i watched it i didn't understand why i liked it so much right and the third time i finally got it because usually i don't like overpowered characters like I, I remember saying in the attack on titan episode i feel that mikasa is a mary sue you know she's like oh yeah super badass and she like defeats everyone and stuff and i was really asking myself why do i not feel the same way about overlord why am i so intrigued by this show why am i cheering for manga when he is clearly overpowered as well right he's like one-shotting people left right and center why don't i feel that he is a cheap mechanic that it's boring to watch and i finally got my finger on it it's because I think that they're really upfront and honest about it. They're not hiding the fact that, you know, uh, he's overpowered. He's not trying to have you believe that, you know, he's a struggling character, right? And they're not hiding that at all. He's the explicit they explicitly state upfront that he's OP in the world that they're in, right? It feels like One Punch Man. Because of that honesty, it feels satisfying, right? They they take that and they run with it, right? They make the, the battles comedic, right? Mm. It's hilariously lopsided in the manga's favor. So there's this like comedic aspect of the battles. That's something that you mentioned that you say he doesn't struggle. Yeah, he doesn't struggle in battles, 100%, but he struggles the end, with I mean. the more, yeah, until the end. But he struggles, you see him struggling with the more human aspect of things. You struggle you see him struggle with the emotional aspect of things right especially with shaltair like he was saying i'm gonna kill shaltair whatever he didn't mention to them that he was gonna revive her he didn't even mention it you know what i mean so it's like things like that making those tough decisions whether or not to save someone or to kill someone etc like all these sort of things are difficult that is true yeah that's where i see it at least that's where his his weakness is he's not overpowered in all aspects or right? he has these like these mental weaknesses right he was even if i remember correctly he one of the reasons why he's 
struggling with Sheltier and, you know, the decision to kill her or not, or, you know, let his floor guardians kill her, is because, like, he's remembering his friends, right, and all the time that they spent together creating, crafting these NPCs and their backstories, and he's like, I can't have them fight each other, right? They mean too much to me. I'll take care of this myself. But you see at times, Momonga, I don't know if it's the game or some sort of supernatural element that's stopping him from showing more human emotions. Like you see it in the more sort of sexual scenes in the show. Like, you know, when he's... Yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff that he's being pulled back. There's something that's pulling him back. Even when there's moments that he wants to cry, he's being pulled back from it. That was actually never answered though in the, the first season. I don't remember no, that it's being... Not. It's just, he, he doesn't know why it happens. It just does. He even mentions that he feels that... You know, he's changing like normally i would have like hurled at the sight of people being killed like this and all that but i'm just so cold now so so he's like did i change what's going on with this this world right what has happened to me and i think that really speaks volumes about his character which i we want to get into now how do you feel about momonga as a protagonist you know, we've already established that he's really relatable right but what else sticks out uh, to you personally what I like is the the juxtaposition of Momonga right you look at Momonga you think he's gonna be this fucking scary guy even when he showed himself to the people of Khan village right it's like they were scared of 100% to the point that he had to obviously memory wipe them the people that saw his face right the two the two young girls so you would look at him and you're like what the fuck is this guy and then you kind of learn more about him and you learn that he is he's peaceful he's nice he's help he's willing to help people there was no really real reason for him to go on a journey with the other adventurers or anything like that but he decided okay I'm, i'll help it's a weird one because you wouldn't expect him from a character like that like i said this anime makes you think that these guys are supposed to be bad and it flips it on their head and that's what i like about momongo is that he's actually at the end of the day he's a human being like he's He's still a human yeah. being stuck in this guy's body. He still sort of runs fairly as if he was running it in the game because in the game there are still morals. Do you see what I mean? It's not like there isn't hum humanity's morals or whatever. There's still rules, regulations. So he's still running it like that. And he's basing his rule off, you know, how his friends were. And I, I really do appreciate that. I think Momonga is a very loyal person. We see that even the NPCs, right? They're all loyal because they're programmed to be loyal. But Momonga with his friends and that their honor and, you know, their legacy... He's passing that on, and even the fact that he's taking on the names Heinz, it's uh, the name of the guild, so he's taking that on himself, and I find that very admirable. You're absolutely right, but I have a question for you now, because I'm going to ask you a question that I asked myself a lot while I was watching this. Do you find it sad what he's going through? And what I mean by this is, I sort of felt that, okay, yes, he's respectful of his past friends and all that, but there's this little voice at the back of my head that couldn't help but think, like, maybe there's a problem. Maybe he's just denying reality, and he just doesn't want to move on. He's just clinging to this to his past guildmates right they've all moved on in life right and he's still clinging to this one thing you know like do you think it's a problem how, how do you see it i don't necessarily think of it as a problem i do agree with you he is clinging on to it hence why he's the only one left in the game he doesn't want you know that sort of in, in a way at the beginning i was thinking oh okay so he doesn't want to go back to reality because he has friends in this world he's made memories in this world he's you know it seems that momonga in real life had had a shitty life right and he goes to this game for some sort of solace meets up with yeah, his friends sort of etc like escape from reality yeah and the fact that it's become his reality i don't really see it as an issue that he always looks back I, I feel that he feels the same way as he did before now in this new game well not in the new game in this new reality of his because you know he's he's alone again he's alone again and these people that are npcs i don't think he can, can i don't think he can really console and confide in them only because they were beings that were created by his friends right so he 
I still think he kind of treats them as NPCs. I don't really think he has proper conversations with them. And obviously because he's higher up than them, it's really awkward to have yeah. like one-to-one conversations or it's like a boss have being best friends with his his employee yeah. it just doesn't happen if, if anything i think that you're right in saying that you know he doesn't really see them as fully human yet even though they have emotions i, I think that he really respects them a lot mainly because they're the creations of his friends like he, he respects them because they're this missing link between his old guildmates who are no longer there you know uh, i don't think we've really seen any of the npcs fully act human yet i i really think that they're still quite you know programmed in their personality and their I behavior. disagree with you. I think the only one, I forgot his name, the demon guy, has such a difficult... Demiurge. Right? Yeah, that guy, I think he has the most sort of human emotions, right? Especially in the final battle when he's looking on and he was like, no, we need to rush in there. We need to, even if it's going to cost us our lives, even if Momonga wins and he's, he kills us because of our defiance, we need to rush in there. So the fact that he's done that, that, that form of sort of rebellion, that form of defiance in itself kind of makes me think that he's the most human out of them all that is true but it's just that it's a shame that we don't see more of him though right and you know i'm not gonna lie i kind of dismissed him in my first watch through because i oh my god he was so sus he was so suspicious man i was like 100 he's gonna somehow backstab momonga right because he was acting like you know this this scheming mastermind right and i really expected him to backstab him because he was plotting a lot during the first few episodes in a way, I guess it's kind of because he his design with the glasses and shit reminds me of like Kabuto from Naruto. But I don't know, I just, I couldn't really trust him the first time through. And even the second and third times that I watched it, it wasn't until like, it's only then that I really understood his character, right? He's just viciously loyal, like you said but he's not over the top about it. There's a certain depth to his character. To that... some degree, Kevin, like you you were saying that you thought he was going to rebel or he would backstab him in a sense. So to, to begin with, I don't think that any of the characters would have done that because they were programmed in a specific way. And it's obviously, it's evident from the beginning where Momonga is changing Alabado from a bitch to someone that loves Momonga, right? So the fact that that trait still remains there, that is hardwired into them. Even Shalte, the only reason that she rebelled was because she was being brainwashed. So I didn't think at one point, like Demigo, whatever his name is, I didn't think that he was going to backstab him because of the rules that were set out. I just had no idea what those rules were, though. I don't know if it was the same, if all the NPCs had the same loyalty, because just the way that in the first episode, right, like he wants to go outside and see the, the sky or whatever, right? And I know like, in retrospect, right, he was obviously just trying to look out for Moonga, but you know, the fact that he had these like three demons waiting for him and shit, I was like, is he spying on Momonga? Is he, what, what, what's his, um, you know? Know, what's his motive here right i was really suspicious of what he was trying to to do initially and know? maybe that is something that it might go you might find out in a second season i don't know yeah like there's always some sort of plot points that might be like that because obviously momongo is looking for those friends of his right not necessarily friends other players but he's Just other human players yeah, yeah but he did mention at one point that he was hoping that at least one of his friends might be alive and it might be the case that one of his friends are alive i, I get your point of uh, you know, Demiarga being well-developed. Actually, you know, I-, I didn't really consider his human side before you brought it up. Because for me, honestly, I think Demiarga is the exception. I want to know what you feel about Albedo and Shaltier and some of the other 
NPCs because I don't feel that you can say the same thing about them. No, I, I feel can't. that a lot of them are just two-dimensional. There's Bear in mind, just... they are NPCs at the end of the day, so they are very two-dimensional. I'm intrigued with Alberto in the sense that, yeah, she's obsessed with him and she's insanely loyal towards him, but as you said, yes, she's very 2D. I think the only thing that actually saves her character is the amount of dialogue her and Momonga have. But what you get out of that dialogue though is my I question. feel that you learn more about Momonga with the dialogue that they have. Even if it's silly dialogue, right? You get to see those moments where Momonga has to pull back, especially like, you know, you, you kind of feel that, yes, it is mostly uh, comic relief, etc. But you see the human side of Momonga a bit more when he deals with Albado, right? So, at, at least in my opinion, with Shaltir, I think she's even more of a 2D character, right? She's but the thing is, what you just said, I, I agree with your point. The conversations with Albedo certainly develop Momonga, but I think we're both in agreement that Momonga is... A, was a solid main character. Oh, I'm not contesting that at all. I'm just wondering about Albedo herself. Oh, no. You know, Albe I don't, uh, uh, with Albedo, I find like her I really said, flat. She is a flat character. The majority of the characters here, uh, whether it's Albedo, Shaltir, obviously you do get a little bit for Shaltir towards the end, but that's not even her, you know, herself. That's that's her being brainwashed, right? Albedo, it, it's either Albedo or whatever. I think the characters that I find are kind of a little bit more well-developed are the twins. Because you see them, you see them being mischievous. Really? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you don't see a lot of them, but you see how they act and you see, like, there is, like, there's night and day, right? Their personalities are well-defined, especially Mare. I think Mare is, uh, in terms of all of them, very interesting because she does. it, it seems that he doesn't want to partake in all of this. Like, he'll say something, you'll be like, oh, and be, be okay, don't, don't tell her off too much, don't, you know, know killer or whatever do you see what i mean so you kind of get that i, I kind of seen those two as one character as opposed to two if you get what i'm saying not because they're twins but because honestly I, i'd have to get you to elaborate on that what, what i mean by that is that that one of them by themselves is very unremarkable but the fact that they're both together and they both do stuff together that's what makes them seem more interesting do you see what i mean like you can't have one without the other because they're polar opposites i just feel like the, you know this twi twins thing with polar opposite uh, personality. It's, it's cliche, I get it. Just, it. It's a cliche that we've seen before, right? And I feel that even if you look at, at um, Mare and his sister, right, as individual characters, I don't see what they do in the first season that really develops their characters. I, like, from for Mare, I find that, you know, it's the cliche, you know, cross-dressed young boy and all that. If anything, it's like the, the anti-Yukimura, right, of, of this show, if you will. It's like a gender-bent Yukimura, right? Super shy and all that, unsure, low confidence and all that, cross-dressed. We've seen that a lot before. Mare, same thing, or sorry, his sister, same thing. You know, we've seen those personality types before. And there's nothing wrong with starting out like that. It's just that they never go past that. You never spend enough time with them to see the other side of their characters. And that's kind of frustrating for me, especially with like, you know, even more important uh, NPCs like Albedo, right? Who's like the main NPC. He was mentioning in the first episode how, how there's like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of lore and backstory that um, her creator created for her, right? So it's like, where is is that lore where's that backstory it's been we don't see any of that you kind of see this sort of lore and backstory from pandora's actor pandora's actor right so he's the only npc that's made by Molonga, right so by the fact that he's the one that made him Momonga's explaining, Momonga's giving that exposition about that NPC. And I think the only reason that they're not going to give exposition about the NPCs is because those characters aren't there, or at least there isn't a flashback when those NPCs were created. I I'm not saying that you know, they, they need to 
have an exposition. Like, I'd be against that, actually. Against them just, you know, reading the, the backstory. So what do you want? Like, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you want her backstory to be revealed a bit more? I just found that, you know, something like them in combat together, like what they kind of did with the shouts here, but a bit more in depth, perhaps. Just a more organic way of of integrating them into the, the backstory or, or in the dialogues at least, you know? You mentioned, you know, them in battle, like you want them to have conversations about their past battles or whatever. Like, I don't understand because, for example, if that's the case, Momonga's never really been in battle before. And he does mention it when he's fighting Chaltier, saying this is the first time I'm on the uh, on the front lines, right? Momonga's like a spellcaster. He's not really a guy that's actually having battle. So, I, I think that's irrelevant though, whether how much combat experience he has is irrelevant. Just, you know, find a way of getting them to talk about, you know, how she was created and stuff. But there's no need. The other aspects of her personality other than, because they have so much dialogue, right? Uh, Momonga and Albedo. And like 99% of that dialogue is, oh my God, she has the hots for Momonga or, you know, her getting into an argument with Shaltier. It's just like, there's so much wasted potential in life. That is true. Opinion, I do you know? agree with you, but that's also because Momonga altered her programming to make yes, it be but that like was, that. He altered one line. There were paragraphs of it is my point. We never, we only see that one line that he altered in her personality. We never see the paragraphs. The only reason that we don't see that is because we don't see her without Momonga. We only see her with Momonga, or if Momonga is being We do referenced. see her without Momonga, though. You forgot that Where? one scene with that one fucking creepy, like, it reminded me of the, the, the Senna scene, actually, from Haganai, you know, where, like, Senna has, like, this, the, the Dakimakura? Yeah. Right? Well, anyways, there, you remember that one scene yes, where Demiurge, like, do. finds her in, like, yeah, I do yeah, remember that. That but, scene. But even then, all of her scenes revolve around Momonga. That's what I'm trying to say. That's, that's exactly my issue. Like, it's not even that it revolves around Momonga. There's no point within the anime where she's not talking about Momonga because she's insanely in love with Momonga. I know, but just because you, you talk about someone though, Bish, doesn't mean that you're going to talk about how you love them all the time, you know? I get it, I get 100%, but she's she's at like stalker level, right? So imagine if she was having a conversation, I think the way they could have done it was that if she was having a conversation about the battle with maybe Cocutus or maybe with a different character, because Cocutus would make sense for her to have a discussion with a battle and then she'll probably bring up her creation, etc. Because you do see that a bit with Shaltir. Like, Shaltir always mentions her creator. She always mentions it. So you kind of see that with certain characters more than others. Yeah, but I, I just don't feel you get that with Albedo. And it's no, such a don't. shame, no, too, because she's she's like, she's literally in the ending on the... If you look at the promo art, she's like, you know, she's plastered front she's, and center. She's there with, for fan service. That's why she's there. And it's such a shame. It is such a waste of a character in my opinion and i look i know that this is just an adaptation of a light novel they can't change the source material but nevertheless i just feel that it is a shame that a lot of them are just kind of so two-dimensional right i get that they're all obsessed but i with think that's their point Momonga because he he's one of the the player characters but there are so many different ways that you can get them to interact with Momonga that, that doesn't revolve around it being a joke. I see where they're going with it because they were designed to be NPCs, right? Even in this new world, because if you look at the rest of the characters within this new world, they're, they're a creation of the world. They're not creation of Momonga or the, of the guild, right? So they're still being treated as if they're Nazarek NPCs, right? But that's because they are. And like, I know, I, I, I get that, right? But I just don't think that it's necessarily relevant to the debate here because yes, they're NPCs, but I just think that I understand that they have to show that they're loyal to them. I just feel that it's overdone in my opinion and that a lot of the time a lot of their dialogue 
too much of it is just focused on that one thing instead of fleshing out their characters. Because if you look at it, even Enri, right? Even uh, the the pharmacist and something, uh, Inferia, there we go. Even though they are also, you know, characters, they're video game characters in that world, I feel that they have a bit more, Kevin, more depth I, I, I to them. I just want to stop you there. They're not NPCs. It's not stated that yes, they're, they are. They're not, it's not stated that they're NPCs. You do know that. What do you mean? Dude, everyone who, everyone who isn't a player is an NPC. No. There's not a Nazarok that, NPC. No, that's not right. That's not correct. The reason why I say that, Kevin, is because it's already established that they're not in Igrisil anymore. So it's established that they're not there. So you don't know where this world is. If it, if for example, if this is reality, if they've made Igrisil a reality or whatever, that would imply that the characters there are not NPCs. Even the other NPCs that are there, they they don't need to eat. It's mentioned. They don't need to eat. They don't need to drink. They don't need to. Do, and it's mentioned there. And you see that. You don't see them eating. You don't see them drinking or any time. Even Nabe, the one that's with um, Momonga when he's prancing around as Momon, right? So it's like you see all of the other NPCs as you like to call them. They're drinking. They're eating bread sandwich or whatever. So I don't. But made think a program that, to do that though. No, right? Kevin. I don't. I don't think. I understood I don't think it they're NPCs. was that they took Ajaxel's world and they like it's all jumbled up and shit. No, right? It's not. Because he meant he says yeah. it all the time because he he knows it's not Agrisil or Igrisil whatever he knows it's not that he can see that there is magic that is available to use but he also mentions the fact that there are magic users that don't use certain levels of magic right so if this is a world that they don't use certain level of magic and, and the only reason that he's OP is because it's not Igrisil has nothing to do with Igrisil so this is probably a medieval world that does use magic but doesn't use god tier magic like Igrisil that's what I'm thinking I don't want to get too much into this but you're treating these people as like you're not really focusing on the fact that all of the people in Nazarek are NPCs and should be treated as such I guess it there isn't any much a character development or whatever but that's because this first season still treats them as npcs and even momonga does momonga gives them a, a command they do it yeah i know but there there's some new i don't think it's black and white okay you're either a complete obedient mind slave that's always you know following momonga or you're a fully fleshed out character i think there's this this sort of balance you can have as you said with demurge right you can have a better balance rather than you know just this okay either you're always obsessed over him and you're you know uh, having tropey fights with shouts here over him or your uh you know one of the normal villagers and stuff right i just find that they didn't strike this this balance mm. and that's kind of a shame right because they they show that they can create human characters and stuff through Malunga, but just i'm not asking that they're completely human just add a, a bit more depth to them because I, I really feel that a lot of them are very very shallow unfortunately and even the ones that you spend a lot of time with right i understand uh npcs like uh, cocutus or the uh, pleiades right not having any personality just being like full-on npc because they've got like what two minutes of screen time in total yeah right but for other ones i just find that it it's not satisfying. For me, a character that I did want to, uh, that I really did enjoy was Nabe. And I'm not talking about maid version. I'm just talking about standard Nabe that went off to fight with Momon, right? I did appreciate mm. that. I thought that was uh, fucking amazing. She was sick. I thought it was fucking funny. It was hilarious. It wasn't necessarily like just funny. Us. It was just so good. It was just the fact that the personality, she's a very dry personality, especially as Nabe, right? And then she just, the way she fights those dragons, that was fucking interesting. I, I enjoyed that. I did enjoy that. Um, is there any other characters that you want to talk about specifically? Actually, I mean, on, on Nabe, like, I still do think that, you know, she's a bit, she still has that, you know, loyalty that's a large part of her, her personality, right? But I do feel that, at least with her, you 
see this other side to her, right? You see that, you know, she fucking like despises humans and all that. She thinks herself above them and all that through her interactions with the villagers and with- All of them despise humans. Even even Shalte yeah, and even um, I know. Albado. But I think that since Mwunga spent so much time with her in the middle arc, you really get to see that in action, right? She, like, through her dialogue with the explorers, right? It's not just, oh, through passing dialogue with Mwunga. She gets a little bit more interaction. Going back to Albado, do you think it would have been better if Albado was included as a substitution to Nabe? I think there are pros and cons on both sides, right? Because, like, on one one hand, you don't want it to be hyper-focused on just, you know, Mwunga and, uh, and Albedo. But I do feel that by including Nabe, it was a good mix-up, you know, like you, it was a refreshing change in, in, in cast, you know. Yeah. There's this diversity that they had. Um, it wasn't just uh, Momonga with the same NPCs constantly. But other than that, um, no important characters really. Like, I just have this last point on, I guess, the explorers, right? And it's just to mention that their death is sad, I suppose, but I personally didn't feel too much attachment to them. I know you're supposed to feel sad uh, when they die. For me, it was just like, oh, that's a shame. Because even in the first watch through, I kind of expected them to not last, right? I was like, what are these like five brand new characters that are that are introduced in the middle uh, of the season, right? I, I thought it's pretty obvious that A, you know, once this quest was done, they just, you know, get sidelined or B, they die, right? Because it is kind of a brutal show. So I, I don't know, did you connect to those uh, adventurers no, or not? That's 100% I didn't. As you said, yeah, even me seeing that first time, I was like, oh, these guys are going to die. There's no way they're going to last because even if they were, how is that going to affect the whole story? And how is that going to affect seeing Momonga? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have made yeah. sense. What if they, you know, they went back home to Nazareth with Momonga? These are human beings. You know, they will freak out. You know, they they would freak out. I don't think that they would have um, stayed with Momonga, even if they weren't going to die. But I just assumed that they weren't going to last long. Because it, it, they, they kind of seem like a plot device. They're only there. Like, if they weren't if they weren't killed, there's no reason for him to go after Clementine, right? Other than yeah. um, Nefer- whatever his name is. Nefriel. It really is. I just brought that up because a lot of people I talked to who watched Overlord, they're like, oh man, you know, I really appreciated the explorers. It added a whole bunch of depth. It really made you feel for them and stuff. Um, and some of them were like, they didn't expect the death of those ex- uh, of the adventurers. And for me, it was kind of like the opposite case, right? I, I'm not saying it's bad. They weren't like badly developed, but I wasn't expecting much from from them to begin with. You know what I mean? No, I com- 100% completely agree with you. Like, you know, other than, you know, these these character deaths and all that i think that the show also does a pretty good it conveys this dark atmosphere and you know the game world very well through its visuals and design as well so i just wondering if you had any comments on that in particular the the art style and the animation okay. that is employed so the art style animation that's a interesting one for me the colors are great the fact that you have some very swift animations with the fighting scenes etc they were very interesting especially the use of magic or the way they shaded characters when momongo applying buffs to himself i really did appreciate that one thing that i liked the most was there's just a vast amount of different sceneries you get the villages you get the forest you get uh, the desert at one point when he's fighting with shaltair you get nighttime you get nazarick you get it's just mm-hmm. insane like the amount of different amount of different backgrounds that you get and the amount of different stuff that you see it's in it's you wouldn't really expect it in a show like this especially in isekai like for the most part isekai tend to have okay you always have your village you always have your castle fights and you always have your forests but 
even then, like there's so many different locations in this anime. It's it's amazing to me. Even even you know you get episodes at nighttime, you get episodes in the day. It kind of varies it a bit. One thing that I do want to say, and it's a little bit of a gripe for me, 3D animation. It's pretty shit. Really? It is pretty shit. Really? In this anime. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna have to fight you on that one because um, w w what scenes in particular actually? Because for me, it, it depends. In the beginning, when the anime was, you know, when it's established that Momonga's, you know, with his undead army, whatever, uh, fighting those adventurers in the beginning of the show, literally before Nazarick falls or whatever, I, when that happens and I see these skeletons, I'm like, okay, cool. Momonga's also undead, so how come he's not 3D animated, but these skeletons are? And I know the reason why is because they are the same. They are designed the same. You just need to do one 3D model. And then you copy and paste it onto the onto the screen and render it because their animations were pretty much all the same i get that i understand it's 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 just a technique that they use one thing that i didn't like in particular and this one thing that stood out for me the most was nabe's fight with the dragon yeah no, that, i know i was thinking i was expecting you to bring up the dragon actually because i yeah i agree the dragon was really like it was bad it was just bad it was painful it kind of it was a great fight that took away from it and unfortunately part of me understands why they did it like this and why it was a bone dragon i'm using Using air quotes in real life but I mean why it was a bone dragon I think it's because of uh, how they rendered it because it looks like I don't know if anyone knows 3ds max or anyone listening there's a material oh yeah yeah there's a material within within the program called ink and paint basically it gives things like a sort of drawing style to it i'm not sure if you notice that with the dragons like they don't necessarily look 3d it's like it's this weird sort of mix between 2d and 3d but that uh, rest assured that's all done in 3d and it's a, yeah. it's a cheap way of making things look pseudo 3d pseudo 2d type thing the, but that wasn't really the main thing that annoyed me what annoyed me there was a scene where she's jumping from dragon to dragon and it seemed as if someone sort of green screened the dragons in behind her so they probably sketched it out that out first and then put the dragons behind her like it didn't seem that she was actually jumping from one dragon to the another do you see what i mean like part of me also finds that this 3d animation didn't need to be there it just felt like a cost effective thing or time effective like you're saving on time and probably saving on money as well because i think it would have been better to see that bone dragon drawn do you agree with me you know i i completely agree there what I do want to bring up those. Okay, yeah. Other other than the horrendous looking 3D dragon that they probably did just you know use CG for to save on the budget because that's a real. It was. I imagine a bone dragon is no simple thing to animate, right? It's got a lot, no. a lot of parts, a lot of bones, right? And it takes some time. But the reason why I found that you know, barring that case, the CG for me was quite good is because I remember this in the first few episodes, episode three I believe, or end of episode two, when you see um Gazef Stonoff, right? The the head warrior, they're heading towards uh Carney Village, like on horseback, right? I had to do a double take multiple times. Like I, I literally had to pause and like rewatch that scene a couple of times because I wasn't sure if the horses were actually CG or not, right? And they are CG. It's just the way that they they shaded it type of blending that they do with the, the huge dust trail that the horses leave behind. It's very remarkable, right? It, it blends in the horses very well, and the 3D gives this fluid motion to it, so it's really lifelike, but I didn't notice that it was CG, right? Because it wasn't popping out like a sore thumb like the dragon. There's some things, Kevin, that I do want to point out to you, that there's some 3D artists in general. There's this, um, I forgot, there was this 
YouTuber that I recently was watching, because I keep up to date with the sort of 3D design, etc. What they do is that they'll animate the base in 3D and they'll draw over it. So that might be the case there. Like it was in 3D. Very possible, yeah. And then they just drew over it. And that that's a great method of doing it. And don't get me wrong, I didn't notice it either until you brought it up. One thing that I do have to say is that also at the same time, that was another scene where there was multiple of the same instance heading off to a goal, movement, etc. in a mass. So it's like there's more than one horse that was moving, correct in saying that, yeah? Yeah, you know, it's an entire, like, uh, so cavalry unit. To me, it just seems, once again, that was used as a cost-saving measure. They just wanted to get as many things as possible so then they can render it so they don't have to draw yes, out all of okay. these horses. It's a copy-and-paste job. Right. Like, that's what it seemed but, to me. But, I mean... I, I agree, but one, to play the devil's advocate here, I think that... Uh, there's also an artistic effect to it too, and you know, you're wondering earlier, you know, why, why are they making the skeletons 3D, 3D animated, right? I think that on top of you know the obvious answer, which is it saves time and money, is that I feel that when you uh, have like lots of the same object, right, that you can copy and paste and stuff, which applies to the, both to the case of the horses and to uh, to the army of like skeletons, is that when you have 3D animated objects and you have a whole mass of them, right? You want to convey just like how big this this cavalry unit or how big this army of the undead is. It really, the fact that uh, it's not just 2D layers on top of each other, but they're really 3D objects that kind of pop out of the screen that have this third dimension to them. It really adds to, you know, the volume of the shot, right? It really makes you feel that, you know, there's a lot of horses, a lot of undead True. In, in this army, I, right? I do say that is a bit effective. The one thing that was a bit jarring for me was because Momongo's also a skeleton. And when you see them next to Momongo, it's like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. Like, that is true, yeah. It, it's kind of weird to see this juxtaposition between like 2D skeleton versus, you know, 3D animated skeletons. It is kind of weird. Because even like they use it in such awkward places as well, like Momongo's staff, like sometimes it's 2D and sometimes it's 3D when it's floating around and turning around. Because, you know, it floats around by itself, right? So it's like, why would you have it 2D when it's in? his hand when you're not using it 3d that doesn't make sense it is kind of weird but i think the, the rationale behind that is that you know it, when he lets go of it it doesn't just like fall down it, it floats there right yeah. creating this like floating object right conveying that that feeling is kind of hard to do in 2d and also usually in in mmorpgs and stuff in games right uh, you see those real-life objects in in 3D. Even if you know, the the MMO has like 2D backgrounds or whatever, those objects will usually be, be done in 3D themselves. So I think that for me, it conveyed this sort of like is this callback to you know the game to, world to games. True. Yeah. Okay. You know. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think about it like that. That's very smart, actually. If I'm thinking about it like that, yeah. It does kind of refer to the game world that they used to be in. I get it. That makes sense. I really want to get into, just to wrap this up, I really want to get into like music opening and ending. What do you think? Okay, I find that both the opening and ending are pretty solid. In terms of the opening, I find that, okay, animation-wise, it's aight, you know. It's, um, it's not bad, it's not great. It, it, it's kind of what your standard opening is. You, you see all the characters go on screen and sequence and all that. Uh, nothing bad, but where it really shines is the music. music. I find that it really... It's got this beat to it. It's got a little bit of, um, how do I say? Uh, it's got a bit of power to it as well to hype you up, right? And that's what you want in an opening for this kind of show, right? Where there's a lot of action, it does that very well. But for me personally, out of the two, I gotta say I like the, the music of the ending. Okay. A lot better. Because right. there's so much energy to it. There's this faster pace and there's just like this kind of like very light, like screamo feel to it 
right? It was really, really hype-inducing. It was really good, and I never really skipped the ending. Whereas the opening, I was like, okay, I like it, but I can live without it. Okay, I'm, no. I'm the other way around. Um, the opening, I don't skip it. Only because it's just so fucking hype. It kind of reminds me of, like, my hero type <laughs> opening. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It, it, it does. It's, it's there for building hype. I think the ending... I think I like the animation of the ending better. It kind of reminds me of a lot of animes. A lot of romance animes actually do this. Really? Yeah. You know, I think we're completely opposite here. Because I was like... Okay, the, the animation of the opening is like, alright. Not great, not terrible. But for me, the, the, the animation of the ending was kind of meh. Like it was just like this this your this pan of this photo of like Albedo and stuff different shots and all that. It wasn't really as visually pleasing. There wasn't much going on. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I get you. Like like I said, I only enjoyed it because a lot of romance anime do that sort of ending sort of animation where it's just like a pan of a really beautifully done piece of artwork that kind of looks like fan art or probably like concept art or something you. like that. Like even even like Vocaloid songs. There's this one Vocaloid song that reminds yeah. me of it. I can't remember what it is. I think it's called no, it's not bad apple something else it's one with these angels right and it kind of reminds me of that when I, if someone remembers it just please tell me what it is a fallen angel or something like that but anyway it's like it reminds me of that it kind of reminds me of this sort of holy yet not holy sort of situation sort of religious at mm. the same time just because of the amount of colors that we use the light colors you know it, it, it just made me feel like alberto was an angel with black wings because she did have it is that, true yeah. it's just i have a point and a question for yes you. my point was okay i i get that albedo is the focus of the ending okay she's supposed to be one of the main characters but i just i can't help but think like man i get that albedo's supposed to be important but i can't i don't want to you know beat a dead horse but i just can't shake this feeling that you know what does she do in the show that's she's that, got that warrants her yeah that's, that's unfortunate like, but that's, other than that's that what that's warrants her, her having this the entire focus of the ending on her. Whereas the, the opening had this, you know, it presented all the characters and it, it, it's a good representation of the show. I feel like she kind of unjustly in a way sp steals the spotlight, right? And my question for you is, okay, I get your point. I do, agree, like the animation for the ending isn't bad. I just felt that it was kind of out of place, you know? Like you make an excellent point in saying that, yes, it's very common in in rom-coms and like romance um, romance shows, right? But do you feel that it's it has its place here? Because I don't know if I would personally say that this is like a rom-com or harem or romance show. It doesn't feel no, like No, it doesn't. But I mean, it works well with the music. Like the music and the actual artwork that's being shown works well. Even if that doesn't necessarily work well with the show at hand, but the music works well with the show and this works well with the music so it kind of ties together at least for me right it kind of okay. like i said it's like it kind of you know those uh anime music videos amvs like that's what it was that's what, oh that's what it god, felt like. yeah so all the rage on youtube back in like 2007 seven? yeah that's what it was <laughs> yeah i can't believe we even got the same year as well 2007 but yeah it, it's it's the same feeling so i do agree with you it doesn't make sense for that to be there in this anime but I, it, there is an exception just because the music is so good it kind of covers the sins of the actual animation it's non-existent but there you go would you like to see a season two yes I, yeah. again it just goes back to the the last the last arc it was so well done and i can't i just can't stress this enough like it takes everything that was done well in the season and it just takes it to the max and like you said it, it gives you just enough information so that you're satisfied with what happens it withholds just enough so that you want to find out what happens immediately after like I wanted to go watch season two right away and, and find out more about this world. You know, who the hell controlled Shaltier, right? What, like, was it a human player? You know, what's going on? 
um, I wanted to, to continue the second season, so I absolutely would see a second season, no doubt about it. How about you? I agree. I think second season for me, I'm, I'm pretty hyped about it. Probably after this recording, I will start on second season just because I've been looking forward to it for the past couple of weeks. It's just so well done, as you said. The way that the final episode sets it up for a second season is just phenomenal and i've never seen an anime that does that now would i recommend it yeah like who'd you recommend to and like what what are your what are your main gripes or you know what should people look out for if you were to recommend this to them if you're going to watch it be prepared for the amount of gore that there is obviously i'm i was a bit overexcited with it and i wanted more but it's not for everyone i don't get you bish you're like for this we're like fuck yeah i there's not enough gore and after for another you're like uh, yeah i almost dropped it because another it's it's innocents that are dying in this one it's people that deserve it so i'm all right with it all right so it's only it's only when infidels die yeah basically okay, so right? it's only when when they <laughs> fucking deserve it and they kill people i'm like fuck you you deserve to die like that's what i felt but regardless i think if you're not really necessarily into gore then okay then don't watch the show it probably isn't for you i think if you're into if you're new to anime this is a show to watch because it it kind of eases you in it gives you a good feeling as well like you want to root from a manga you want to root for the bad like the apparent bad guy you learn also about the characters you get like relationships it's got everything in it like mm. there's there's aspects of romance there's aspects of comedy there's as aspects of friendship uh action everything i mean that being said though i i wouldn't like this maybe be one of the first shows i don't recommend someone but this absolutely would not be like the first show that i'd start them on just because as good as the action is as good as the world building is i just find that there are shows that have a better balance of all these things and character development like momonga great character i just find that it's kind of held back unfortunately by some of the npcs a lot of the npcs honestly maybe if i wanted to convince people like Oh, hey, look at this. Anime is, you know, it's been taken seriously and all that. I wouldn't start with this right away, but it definitely has a very solid base, a solid main character that's very relatable, very satisfying combat as well, and excellent pacing, really. And it finishes with a bang, too. I completely agree with you. And I think, like I said, I would recommend it to that, that sort of person. I think um, someone that, yeah, as you mentioned it, it might not be for everyone. I wouldn't say, as, as you said, I wouldn't say it to be for the first person, like, the first anime or whatever i think there are better shows that do that like something like my hero would make more sense as a good all-rounder oh, yeah. anime for everyone to watch for the first time like even my mom she's getting into anime and she's watching my hero that's like the first thing that she's watching but this is like i said because it is sort of a niche in a sense because like it's isekai but it's not isekai it's like dark but that's the thing actually i wanted to ask you um while we're talking about recommendations would you recommend this as an isekai no to someone no I wouldn't say this. Yeah, same, because it's technically an isekai in category, but in form, in depth, in execution, it really doesn't feel like an isekai. It feels more you know? like a shonen show. It does, yeah. and I'm not going to lie, I'll be completely honest with you, um, I'm kind of glad that it isn't the case, because I don't. there are just so many isekai shows. It's been done to death. I'm getting tired of this genre, to be completely honest with you. And I'm glad that Overlord doesn't fall into the, you know, the same tropes we've seen a million times already. And that it, you know, 
it stays true to its source material in that it carves its own path. Completely agree with you. Yeah. But overall, I, no, I think that we've had a great discussion today. Uh, lots of great stuff thanks to this show. Uh, good discussions on, you know, just the pacing, the, the world of Dragzill, and then you know, the new world they've been transported to. And really thank uh, all of you guys for tuning in and listening to this episode. So just let us know what you guys think. You know, would you agree with us on the characters and the world building? Uh, just let us know. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on this episode, the podcast, or, you know, give us some potential uh, feedback, you can leave us a review on iTunes, on Google Play, or Stitcher. Alternatively, you can also send us a message directly through our website at www.goodallifepodcast.com contact, or you can come chill with us on our Discord server by checking out www.goodallifepodcast.com, my bad, slash Discord. And with that being said, uh, I think that's it for Overlord. Bish, do you mind telling them what we have in store for the next episode of Kunai? It's been a long time coming, guys. And we, we I think even since Kunai started, we were always memeing about the show and we always mentioned it a lot. B- Bish knew, like from the moment he created Kunai, this is this day would come this, eventually. This is the day of reckoning. The next episode will be, <laughs> it will be Oremo. So prepare for that. It's season one. I have... No idea what I expect, honestly. Like, <laughs> it's a good show. I think season two is where it kind of drops off uh, with the incest and what. Is the show famous or is it infamous? Like, it's infamous. I don't, I don't it's even it's know it's anymore. Man. It's infamous only because of the. <laughs> it's infamous because of the the incest. But other than that, it, you don't see it much in season one. It appears more in season two, but season one is very important. I, and I prefer season one over season two. So we're finally going to watch it. It's going to be a ride. Might be a bumpy ride for Kevin, but it's going to be a ride. I'm looking forward to watching it again can't wait to get all of the fucking shit for like choosing wrong best girl or whatever oh that that's gonna... i think i know who yours is who's, i think who's you told me I, I, no don't say it, but, don't say, it, uh, don't say it. I, it, might, it I, might i can't wait to find out it might change because i haven't seen orimo sure. in like what five years so it, my best girl might change in orimo but we will see you know, that is going to be a waifu war and a half and there will be shipping the return <laughs> of shipping will be in orimo shipping wars shipping wars yeah. waifu wars that's going to be insane so all right with that being said guys um Again, I can't say I use my Twitter that much anymore, but I will still check if you guys send me a message. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Tolray, at T-O-L-V-R-A-I-E, and Bish. Uh, mine is, as always, uh, my Twitter and my Instagram as well, because we're posting on Instagram. It's at Get Life Podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. See you. Stay sexy. Bye. <laughs> I just have to include stay sexy.